Our second reading today is uh, from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 36. Uh, but as we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we are here to hear you speak to us uh, through your word. Uh, your word is precious, it is truth. It speaks to our condition, to our need for salvation. It speaks of Christ, your Son. Help us, Lord, as we come to your word today to see these things, to know these things, and to be blessed by these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want. The servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a, a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Uh, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, now This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? 
Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. Those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your family line and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will come, will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. Amen. Do you remember the days when cameras used film? When you took a photo, a negative image would actually be produced on the film. It would be the exact opposite of what was seen through the lens, but that negative image through further processing could be used to produce the right image the perfect image. In the Old Testament, sometimes we see positive images of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, and is, is like light shining in the darkness. In the previous passage, there was a mention of a king, a Messiah, associated with judgment and salvation of God's people. That was a positive image. But sometimes in the Old Testament, we see negative images, but then the negative image can still paint the right picture. Just like the negative image from a camera is inverted to produce the final photo, the failures we see in Scripture sometimes paint the picture of who the Messiah needs to be. And today's passage is like that. Uh, today we see why we need Jesus as our great high priest. First uh, Samuel so far has projected a picture of hope in a time when the nation of Israel was quite depraved. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes and departing from the ways of the Lord. But in those dark times, Samuel is born to Hannah in miraculous circumstances in answer to her prayers. And so we see that the Lord was at work and hope was growing at the same time, the nation of Israel was in a complete mess. And perhaps the worst part is that those who were leading the people spiritually were not faithful at all. Verse 12 says, Eli's sons were wicked men and they had no regard for the Lord. And it was a practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, 
the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Eli's sons were particularly wicked. They weren't faithful. They had no regard for the Lord. Another possible translation is to say they did not know the Lord. Just no relationship there whatsoever. But Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests in the temple of God. They were meant to be examples of holy living. They were meant to be drawing people to God. But instead, they were simply using the system to get what they could. And when the system didn't deliver enough to fill their desires, they broke the rules and invented their own. They were stealing from the offering that the people were trying to offer to the Lord and they sinned against the people and they sinned greatly against the Lord. Now the laws about offerings were very specific. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4 says, If a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he is guilty. And when he is made aware of the sin he has committed, he must bring as his offering for the sin he committed a female goat without defect. He's lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, slaughter it at the place of burnt offering, and then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall then remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him and he will be forgiven. Regardless of the types of sacrifices, the ceremony is exactly the same. The fat was to be removed and offered to the Lord. But the priests in our reading weren't doing this at all. The fat which offers the aroma which is pleasing to the Lord was being taken away by the priests. The specific symbolism which God laid forth for the whole ceremony was being disregarded and any of the faithful would have been left wondering whether God would accept their sacrifice which was being treated with such contempt by the priests. And it wasn't as if the priest would go hungry. The law also says the priests were actually entitled to some of the offering. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 says, This is the share due the priest from the people who sacrifice a bull or a sheep. The shoulder, the jowls and the inner parts. And then you were to give them the first fruits of your grain, new wine and oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name always. The priests were well supported from the people. Grain, new wine, oil, wool, even specific portions of meat from the sacrifice. But Eli's sons ignored these things. They were not happy with what God had given them. They just wanted more. And so they took more than what the Lord had given them. They stole from the offering, taking the choice meat. They, they stole from the people. They stole from the Lord. Eli's sons rejected the law of God because they just didn't care what the Lord thought. They had no relationship with him whatsoever. 
This is the state of the deprivation of Israel in that their spiritual leaders were not at all spiritual. They didn't love God. They didn't love others. And they saw sacrifice as a means for collecting choice food for themselves. But amongst this wicked priesthood stands Samuel serving at the temple. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. And each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. This is a small scene that is just simple and pure. A little Samuel is serving the Lord and Hannah continues to love and care for him. Uh, Eli is even doing what he should do as a priest. He is interceding for them and seeking the Lord's blessing in their lives. And This is really a picture of how things should have been at the temple. There is faithfulness to the Lord. There is a priest encouraging and praying for the people. And so in the end, it's not really a surprise that we see the Lord's blessing come through this. And Hannah and Elkanah have more children, three sons and two daughters. Now, Hannah has been more than blessed. The Lord has answered her prayer with Samuel and, and with five more children. It says Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Samuel was serving and, and living with the Lord. And that's a, a, a very special thing. Now, children are blessed when they grow up in a faithful environment. They grow and mature very well when the Lord is with them, strengthening them, guiding them and counselling them. And Samuel is benefiting from all of that. And what's even more amazing is that he's doing this at the same time while all of the priesthood is corrupt. The most faithful person in all of these chapters so far has just been Hannah. And Samuel only sees his mother once a year. He is serving in the tabernacle under the instruction of Eli, in the same place where Eli's sons are. And, but what we read is that the Lord is there. Specifically, he is with Samuel. And Samuel is with the Lord. And so there is hope here. The Lord is working something special amongst all the depravity of the priesthood. A faithful boy is being raised in a community that isn't faithful at all. This is a blessing for Samuel and his mother and in time it will translate into a blessing for Israel. God is raising up Samuel to lead the nation. Where Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, are unfaithful in worship, it should come as no surprise that their daily lives were corrupt also. Verse 22 says, uh, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The sins of the sons of Eli are not just related to their evil practices concerning the sacrifices people brought, but their wickedness extends to how they slept with women who came to serve at the temple. The corruption of their own hearts is spreading to the corruption of the women of Israel. When the church leadership is corrupt, the, the, the corruption will spread. 
when the Lord and his word is disregarded by those who are meant to be its advocates, then evil and wickedness will grow. It certainly didn't start out that way, but it ended up that way. You can see this kind of thing in liberal churches, which become so liberal that one begins to question whether any of God's authority remains. If the Lord and his ways are pushed aside for one thing, then there is no end to what can be set aside. Eli, who is both their father and the chief priest, having heard about their deeds, goes to speak with them. He said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Eli's son's disregard for the Lord is leading them not only to sin against man, but they are sinning against the Lord. They might be able to appease an angry husband for sleeping with his wife. They might, maybe, maybe they could make amends with an angry father for uh, sleeping with his daughters. Maybe. But when they have sinned against the Lord, who is going to intercede for them? What is interesting here is that the role of the priests was to intercede with the Lord for the people of Israel. That was their purpose. Amongst the many things they did, they were to be active in restoring the people to God. And so they were actively involved in sacrifices for for individuals, for the leadership of the nation, and for the nation as a whole. But what happens when the Lord is against those who were meant to be speaking to him on your behalf. Imagine that you, you, the, the king of England had some grief against you personally. You had done something. And then you were trying to get right with him again. How would you approach him? Would you go through his enemies to try and connect with him? Of course you wouldn't. That would be ridiculous. In the same way, how can an enemy of the Lord serve as the one who intercedes for his people? Now, the scriptures never presume that priests were perfectly sinless, but when they approached the Lord to intercede for others, they would first make sacrifices to atone for their own sin, and then they would be able to intercede for others. But if those sacrifices were neglected and disregarded, then, well, how could they intercede for anyone else? This was very bad. This was not just about the inability of the sons of Eli to find forgiveness. The sacrifices themselves were symbols that the Lord provided to the people so they could know that they could have forgiveness. And they were being disregarded. These men were meant to be priests interceding for the people of Israel. So their sins against the Lord were not just a a personal problem, but a national problem. A problem for all the people of Israel. And so, of course, the Lord couldn't leave it that way. The sacrifices and ceremonies of the temple and and the word that the priests ought to have been sharing with the 
people were part of the Lord's covenant, his promise to show his people the vileness of sin, the importance of repentance and the need to have forgiveness and the availability of that forgiveness with the Lord through sacrifice. Indeed, these symbols were meant to be depictions of the work of Christ, his blood shed, so that we could have forgiveness. They were meant to be uh, visual and, and physical manifestations of God's promises to them. The Lord could not leave wicked men in authority over these things. The Lord could have uh, worked uh, to bring them to repentance. He could have done that. But he chooses whom he chooses. And the Lord decided that Hophni and Phinehas would be judged for their sins. And so Eli's rebuke falls on deaf ears. And the sons continue to do evil, polluting the rituals and ceremonies of the temple. And their evil continued to infect the people of Israel for a time. And sadly... Eli left it at that. Verse 26 says, The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. It's kind of at these moments of deep darkness and sadness that we have these verses interspersed to show us that hope was still there. While the people of Israel are being led into error and wickedness and while they are being denied the symbols of forgiveness and restoration with God, the Lord already has another plan in progress to bring about change. And that plan would be brought about through Samuel. That plan would take a while to go because it's still literally in its infancy because Samuel is still just a boy. But the Lord is not going to leave things as they are. It is an urgent problem that needs resolution. So verse 27 says, A man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Uh, Eli and his sons were descendants of Aaron, the first chief priest of the tabernacle, and the Lord chose Aaron uh, to take up this role. Aaron himself had not been perfect. He had failed the Lord uh, a few notable times, but the Lord appointed him the role. And the role itself would be a blessing to Aaron and his descendants because they would be provided for by the Lord. But by this role, Aaron and his descendants were to be a blessing to the people of God, to Israel. And they were full-time in this calling. They, they did nothing else but do this they were to attend to the spiritual concerns of the nation they were to teach they were to look after the the tabernacle to lead the ceremonies there and because this was their role they, they couldn't be farmers they couldn't shepherd sheep they didn't possess any land with which to earn an income and instead their needs would be met by the offerings that the people brought for the lord so they would be supplied and they had no need 
But with Eli and his sons, we have reached a point where the family line has failed to do what is right before the Lord. The sons of Eli have overstretched the boundaries of what God had given them and they had taken from the Lord's portion of the sacrifice and they had stolen from the people. They disregarded the Lord and the spiritual needs of the people. And so while now, now Eli had rebuked his sons, he hadn't done enough. Eli was not responsible for the repentance of his sons. That's, they were adults and, and they were intent on keeping things the way they were. The problem for Eli is he just left it there. What he should have done was kick them out of the temple and strip them of their priestly authority. He may not have been able to change their behaviour, but he had the right to dismiss them from their roles until they had repented fully And perhaps it would have been right to dismiss them from that role forever. Eli knew what was going on. And in a way, once he knew, his failure to act made him complicit in their sin. The church discipline is a serious matter. Where the sins of someone in the church brings disrepute to the church and to the Lord. And where the sinner remains stubbornly unrepentant it is right to take them out of roles. How how could someone like that lead services or pray for the congregation or preach the word or, or lead Bible studies? How could they share in communion without bringing judgment on themselves? The church discipline is important and it was important back then too. Eli failed to eject his sons from the roles where they were bringing the Lord's name into disrepute. And so not only would Eli's sons face God's judgment, but Eli would too. Verse 30 says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. Those who honour me I will honour. But those who despise me, will be disdained. The time is coming where I cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so there will not be an old man in your family line and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. What happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. And I will firmly establish his house. And he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead. Point me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. God had made a promise that they would minister, that they would serve uh, before him forever, and they will. God does not break his promises, but in judgment of them, and to demonstrate his wrath at what they were doing, all honour is taken away from them. Their family line is to be humbled and broken. They will die young, 
They will not have the privileged roles in the temple anymore. They are being cast aside. In fact, they, the Lord is doing exactly what Eli should have done. He is taking them out of the temple. So what Eli wouldn't do, the Lord will. And it sounds like a harsh punishment. And it's meant to be. These men rejected the Lord. They failed to take the Lord's command seriously. They were preventing the faithful from doing what was right. They were corrupting others in their wickedness. And, and so in, as much as the Lord was bringing judgment on them, he was having mercy on the people of Israel. It would be a blessing for the people of Israel to see Hophni and Phinehas and Eli removed as priests. But in their place, a new priest will be raised up by the Lord, a better priest. And while Eli's descendants will be humbled, the descendants of the faithful priest will be established. And, and this prophecy of the new priest would be partly met by Samuel. And Samuel would do right where Eli and his sons do wrong. And through Samuel, the Lord would bring a spiritual renewal to Israel. But the prophecy would be more formally met when a fellow called Zadok from outside the house of Eli would become chief priests and a few generations later and his family would continue in the priesthood. But that too was not the end of the story. You see, the necessity of a priest was to intercede for sinners. And the sacrifices that were offered were to draw people nearer to God. But that can't happen where sin stands in the way. The priests were there to perform sacrifices that would restore people to the Lord. And when the, the sacrifice was performed rightly, the sinner could walk away knowing the Lord's forgiveness. That's, that's the importance of the interceding role of the priest. And so what was needed really was a priest who would never fail. A priest who would always be right with God. A perfect, righteous priest who could perform the sacrifice needed to make sinners right with God. And so the faithful people of Israel would look out for the faithful priest. And now we have such a priest. We have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father, who is perfect and righteous and can never fall out of favour with his Father. And Jesus stands now interceding for us in heaven. And he accomplishes this not by offering up new sacrifices, but by the sacrifice he has already made of his own life. He was slain for our sins to reconcile us to God. Jesus is the perfect high priest and he never fails. Sometimes we only lightly feel the weight of our sin and our need for forgiveness. But sometimes the weight of it does come down upon us. And we need nothing else in that moment but the grace of God and his forgiveness. But we know at, at the same time, 
It is the Lord God who is angry with us, who is saddened by what we have done. And we fear approaching him on our own. Can you imagine living in the time when Hophni and Phinehas were priests in Israel? And imagine that you had sinned and you were desperately seeking forgiveness and then the priests wouldn't even let you make the proper sacrifices before God. Imagine the feeling of not being sure whether your sins are forgiven. But today, you have no cause to be without forgiveness. None. But Jesus offered his life as the perfect sacrifice and stands as the perfect high priest. And so if you come to him in repentance, seeking his forgiveness, you're always going to find it. Our sin would stand in the way between ourselves and God, but Christ stands in the middle, bringing us forgiveness, bringing us salvation, making us right with God. He is the perfect high priest. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we, we, we declare to you today how precious your Son is to us. That he stands at your side interceding for us even now. Lord, there are a multitude of sins that we have committed in our own lives, a, a multitude that we're even unaware of. So deep has sin cut into our being. But with your Son, Lord, we know we have forgiveness. And we know that he can always speak for us and we know that he is always there for us and we know that he has offered already the perfect sacrifice. And in him we have forgiveness. Our Lord, it is a wonderful thing that we have in your Son. Lord, we pray for those of our family and friends who have not yet come to know Jesus, that have not yet come to know his forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that they would come to know him that they would know their need of forgiveness and that they would find it in him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.